Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on a day when the world seems to be in mourning for the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris which suffered a catastrophic fire last night that has only just been put out a couple of hours ago. This morning we are going live to the Ile de la Cité where journalist Robert Hardman will bring us the latest news and describe what it was like to be one of the first people allowed inside the 850-year-old landmark uh, alongside President Emmanuel Macron. Coming up first though, we're going to look at the dire state of our schools in this country following the news that around 40% of teachers so they won't be in the education system in five years' time. It's a dreadful indictment of the failed methods and poor preparation the government has served up over the past few years. They're complaining about huge workloads and excessive accountability on the day that 100,000 primary school pupils will be allocated places in weak or failing schools and their parents won't be too happy about it either. If you've got kids in the system, we want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. It is the Easter holidays, of course, and so a lot of teachers uh, will be off. I wonder if there's very many of them on the old uh, Eco Warriors campaign that's going on for a second day here in London. Apparently over 100 people were arrested last night. We'll be checking in to the streets later on to talk to Alex Dibble, our man uh, who's uh, following them around to see what they're up to today. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be asking why so many reviews at Amazon are actually fake. How the Stonehenge Stones might have come from Turkey and how a British charity is helping to rebuild Mozambique. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Tool Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, when you see stories about teachers saying that they're overworked, they're underpaid, they're made to uh, uh, be over-accountable to various different managements and managers, uh, academy bosses and all the rest of it, uh, you have to wonder what exactly is going wrong with our school system. I've got two kids currently uh, in the secondary school system. It's a state school. Uh, it's in the uh, county of Sussex. Uh, it's a pretty good school, uh, but there are many things that I would like to change about it. There are many things, I'm sure, that most parents would like to change about it. I think part of the problem for an awful lot of teachers in this day and age is that parents are actually maybe a little bit too involved and a bit over-involved in the school. They try to impose, you know, what they think little Johnny uh, or little Janie should be doing onto the teachers, onto the school. They don't like to take responsibility uh, if any of the kids get disciplined. But everybody knows a good teacher can make a big difference in a child's upbringing. A good teacher can absolutely lift a child out of a bad situation. Uh, A bad teacher, on the other hand, can make a child totally disinterested in a subject and totally disinterested in education, really. 
really. Uh, but in order to find out what is going wrong right now with the education system in this country, we're going to talk to Roger Layton, who's a former head teacher, now chief executive of Partnership Learning, uh, which is a, an academy trust that oversees nine different schools in London. But we want to hear from you as ever, of course, because you will be out there, you parents, you might be looking after your kids during the, the, the school holidays, you might even be on holiday with them, uh, but we'd like to hear from you because you are the people that talk the most common sense right here uh, on Talk Radio. 0344 Let's talk to Roger Layton and find out what he makes of this particular report. Roger, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining. It's a bit worrying to see a report from one of the teaching unions saying like 40% uh, of teachers don't see themselves in the system over the next five years because they're overworked, they don't really fancy staying in it, uh, and they're getting out. You're right. That is a worrying statistic. Um, I, I sometimes wonder that, you know, the surveys that are done by, by unions are obviously going to be wanting to paint a picture of, um, you know, dire straits, so therefore the teachers need more money, mm-hmm. etc. But yeah, there is a real issue. I, I agree. And I think that it's often a combination of, of, of two things. Firstly, the underfunding of the education system as a whole, and that's having knock-on effects in the classroom, which I could go into in more detail and secondly it's what individual schools do so do individual schools for instance support their teachers on good discipline good behavior so that teachers feel that they can teach and they're not having to work alone to sort out difficulties in their classes i think it's the two things really it's underfunding which is leading to stress in lots of ways in schools and then what do individual schools do to support their teachers Mm, indeed i mean just anecdotally from my own experience of both putting my my two kids who are now 14 and 12 in the primary system and also now in the secondary system quite a lot of teachers leave you know i'll often talk to talk to them about a particular teacher and say oh how are you getting on with so and so and although he left or she left and now somebody else is doing it you know um there seems to be a lot of movement a lot of um in and out as it were yeah, yeah, and 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 the, another thing that I should mention as well is, you know, there are alternatives out there. You know, we're 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 in a relatively strong economic position at the moment with high employment. Therefore, there are other job opportunities. Particularly if you've got a maths or science teacher, they can easily get other well-paid jobs. And there's also an increasing trend for for teachers to go and work abroad, particularly in the Middle East, actually. Um, a lot of the right? Arab states um, have, you know, English um, language schools and they pay good salaries with low tax rates. You hear lots of stories of young teachers in particular going to work in, you know, the United Arab Emirates, save enough for a deposit, come back and buy a house. And, indeed. And, and is the private system in this country as well kind of attracting more of them because maybe the pay is better, the numbers of children in each classroom are smaller? Um, a little bit. I don't think that's a huge factor, to be honest, because um, that that sector is not particularly growing at the moment. Um, the salary differentials can be high in the top schools, but your average private school doesn't pay much more than a than a state school. Right. Um, so I don't think that's a big factor. It's more the ones we've talked about. Really. Okay. And I mean, I I know again that that teachers will complain that curriculums have been messed around with. Michael Gove was education secretary for a while, and he kind of shook up the whole system. Did what is what he did for you a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, broadly, what he did was a good thing, I think, because in the main, he was about taking us back to traditional subjects, um, back to basics, 
um, ensuring that all children, including disadvantaged children, did a rigorous academic curriculum. And that, that broadly is a good thing. Mm. And actually, to be fair, there isn't much change in curriculum going on at the moment, actually. Those reforms are working their way through still in some subject areas and some examination boards. But there isn't a huge amount of curriculum change on the horizon. That seems to have calmed down a mm. lot. But I would come back to funding, though, really, as probably the single biggest thing that the government could do something about. The way that funding cuts have affected teachers in particular is, for instance, most schools have had to cut the number of teaching assistants. And if you're a teacher in a classroom, particularly with some challenging students, mm. those teaching assistants would have been the ones that really supported you to help you with those. If you're suddenly left on your own as a teacher and you've got maybe five or six children with significant special needs mm. and no additional help, that's a huge extra stress. Yes. It's interesting you talk about challenging children because I know at my kids' school, without giving too much away, they take children from um, a particular place which is where children who have been sort of um, expelled is not the word you use anymore, excluded, right? Um, and yeah. I think, I, I assume the school gets some kind of remuneration for taking them. But but the way my, my sons explain it to me is that these kids come in and they stay for maybe two months, maybe three, and then they get ex, ex, excluded again and moved on. So it's a kind of a, a, a vicious circle, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and that, and that again, would have been affected by funding cuts. Right. Um, the, the options for alternative units or alternative provision for children with really difficult behaviour problems that have been cut back significantly in most places. So put all that together, plus you've got general funding cuts, which means schools have often had to cut their leadership teams as well. And although you might think, well, that's fine, it's just a layer of management, well, actually those leadership teams would have been supporting teachers in the classroom in many cases. If you cut those, once again, you're adding more stress to the teachers in the classroom. No, right. And what about when these uh, teachers, around about 8,600 of them were, were, uh, were surveyed uh, by the Teaching Union, National Education Union, which is the smaller, I guess, of the two, NUT being the bigger one, they're complaining about huge workloads and excessive accountability. Are they right about that? Uh, that's, that's, where, that's where individual schools can make a difference. Mm. So, you know, at the one end, you've got schools that, for instance, might expect incredibly detailed lesson plans to be produced for every single lesson right. and every single piece of mark to be, uh, sorry, every single piece of work to be marked incredibly closely and carefully. Yes. And another school might find more um, smart ways of doing the same thing. You know, the, let's mm. work on the lesson plans together as a team so we don't have to do individual lesson plans. And when, we, when it comes to marking, let's decide that we'll mark a significant piece of work every two weeks rather than every single yeah. job that the children do every day. Right. So those sorts of things at school level can make a big difference to workload. OK. And you were talking about uh, how you could expand a bit more on the kind of the lack of funds and lack of resources in the classroom and how that's affecting things. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, OK, so I've mentioned already the cut in teaching assistance. Yeah. Most schools have had to you know, let a lot of their teaching assistants go. That's significant. But there's also cuts that then affect very basic things like can we order new sets of textbooks that will be best suited to prepare the kids for the exam? Mm. If we can't, there's no money to do it, it means I, the teacher, then I'm going to have to work hard at creating my own resources out of my own time and my own um, my own thinking time to, to produce the same thing. So 
everything really is stretched at the moment. I'd say schools have used up all their spare capacity, all their balances. They've made the easy cuts, if you like. And if we don't get some more money in the system in the next year, we really are going to hit a brick wall. Yeah. And that will knock on to those teachers in the classroom. They'll be stressed in every single way. And so will parents, I suppose, because today's the day where a lot of people hear about which school, uh, which primary school their kids are going to go to. And again, reading a report that says about 100,000 children will be allocated places in weak or failing primary schools when they receive their offers today, which is pretty unacceptable, isn't it? It, it is. And, and that's where people like us come in, in multi-academy trusts. So, you know, one of the things we do as a trust, and most trusts do, is we take on primary schools that are in difficulty, right. and we work really hard to improve them. We took on a school in East London two years ago that had never had an Ofsted good, and now two years later, just last term, they had a glowing inspection. Okay. And there are examples of similar improvements and turnarounds right across the country. And, and have you got a sort of formula for that, or does it depend on each individual school that you go into? Uh, it, it, it really does depend on each individual situation. I mean, there are some things that we, um, that the, that we institute across the trust, you know, ways of um, ensuring um, good teacher morale and good, uh, good planning mm. systems, good um, appraisal systems, good assessment systems in the classroom. But in the end, it will come down to the leadership of each school as well. So it's about making sure the right leaders are in the right schools and moving the school forward quickly. Right. So, I mean, it is possible then to improve a school without necessarily putting more money in, from what you're saying? Uh, yes, it is possible. It's just more difficult. Um, and... Often the school that's in difficulty with its results and its standards also has a, a deficit as well. Um, so you're often fighting on two fronts. You're trying to save money at the same time as improving results. Mm. It can be done, but my goodness, it, it's, it's a hard task. It's very challenging. Yeah. And in terms of the actual spend of, uh, of, of, of education money, um, is, has it been reallocated? Because, you know, there's still quite a lot of money going into the school system, but is it not going into the right parts of it, I suppose, would be my last question to you. No, yeah, and, and this is where statistics can, can lie, aren't they, uh, isn't it? So um, the government will argue all the time that they're putting record sums of money into schools. That is true mm. in terms of the overall pot. But in the period they're talking about, there's been a significant rise in pupil numbers. So per pupil, most calculations say that over the last three or four years, schools have lost about 8% of their funding in real terms. Right. When you take into so when you're talking about funding per head, effectively. Exactly. Funding yeah. per head is the key figure. You talk to any school head teacher now, they will say, I'm now coming to the end of the line. I don't know what more to cut. Yeah. The only thing I've got left now is a teacher in the classroom. I have to have a teacher in the classroom. Mm. Um, we really do have to put some more money into the system very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I've seen situations, for example, the, the primary school that my kids were at for a while uh, got an Ofsted 1. Uh, after a while, after doing some very good things. And it then kind of, unfortunately, kind of swallowed itself up because because it got an Ofsted one, a lot more parents wanted to send their kids there. So they took in more oh. kids. They made the school bigger. Uh, they had building works going on for, for about two years. And now the school is, is, is kind of has kind of lost its reputation and people now talk about it as a failed school because, I mean, it's still academically okay, but it's nowhere near as good of a school, if you know what I mean, in the community. 
Mm, yeah, and, and I have heard of that sort of situation, expansion leading to problems. Yeah. Expansion isn't always a good thing. Right. Um, in but they're kind of, in a way, they're, they're, they're sort of responding to the demand, I suppose, because the other, the other problem I've yeah. seen, Roger, and I was going to ask you this question as well about the, the larger numbers of pupils, some of which may be coming from immigration, other things like building housing schemes as well, or housing estates. I mean, I've seen parts of Sussex, parts of West Sussex, uh, suddenly huge housing estates built, loads of people moving in, and no more sort of school capacity being made. No, you're right. This is a huge issue. We're very involved in that ourselves. We're involved in setting up new schools, usually because, as you say, of new house building schemes. Yeah. The, the big problem there is prizing money or land or both out of the developers. Mm. Because what the government says is that local councils, when they are looking to set up new schools because of new housing have to get land or money or both out of the developers yeah and as you can imagine if you're a developer you don't really want to give that up do you you don't um but they should be i mean they should certainly either be given an incentive or or, or persuaded some way or other uh, with their arm being twisted if necessary to do it but roger listen thank you very much indeed roger layton former head teacher chief executive of partnership learning uh, an academy trust that oversees nine schools in london roger was saying sometimes his organization goes in to make a bad school better and it doesn't always require money but i'd love to hear from you uh, out there of course if you've got kids in the school system because it isn't a perfect system but is it as bad as the teachers are making it out to be oh three four four 499-1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far <laughs> enough. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344-499-1000. We're talking education this morning because uh, today's the day a lot of parents find out what schools their kids are going to uh, in primary schools. Anyway, uh, hi Mike, says Gren. My daughter is in her last year and ready to sit her exams next month. Her teachers have used their own time to go into school last week and this week to help the kids out with revision and preparation. Uh, but here's one uh, from Marnie who says, I help out in a local primary school. It's got a head teacher, a deputy head, an assistant head, a pastoral manager, a business manager, administration officer and a finance officer who's got laptops and whiteboards but struggles to pay for glue sticks. Well, I think part of the problem here is that an awful lot of schools are now having to operate as businesses and they don't really know how to do that. Most teachers don't have the skills to run a business and most head teachers don't have the skills to run a business so they have to hire people in to make that happen. Let's go to the phone and talk to Gerard, who's in crew. Hello, Gerard. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Can I just say thanks to you and Julia for giving us six hours of sanity in the morning? <laughs> Not at all. You're very welcome. Okay. Just ring it. Anything I can do to help my daughter who's a teacher, yeah. and she has been out for a few years, I'll do it. She's, what's it called? She's under the cosh. Mm. She's, she goes in very early in the morning. She's preparing work. She may go home at half past five or five o'clock. Right. But... She'll still be working at 10, half past 10, preparing work and marking work for the following day. Is this pretty much every day? Pretty much every day it's exhausting for yeah. her. I mean, her health recently has, has suffered, because she's been doing it now for six, seven, seven years. Yeah. And this year is the worst I've ever seen her for stress. And I mean, she's, what's it called? It's not just that. It's not just the actual school work, though. I mean, she's had to move out because of threats from pupils and parents, yeah. because she lived in the locality of the school, because they want to know why their kid wasn't doing so well 
or why they were marked down, or could they have some private tutorship at their home? Uh-huh. I mean, it was absolute nonsense. It's a state school, but they were turning up with a kid and say, can you help him with this at home? So mm. we had to pay for it to move. Now, she hasn't got an expensive system like David Lammy. No. And I had to pay for that. And my wife had to pay for it to help her get out of the area and get herself another place. Right. A lot of her work is done on the safeguarding side of things because it's a very poor area and there's a lot of vulnerable kids there. So she's not just teaching. She says herself, 20 to 30% of her work is social work. Right. And that is difficult. Has that, has that changed, would you say, over time since she's been doing the job? Well, she's only doing it for six or seven years. So it's got harder because, as you mentioned in, with your guest mm. there, that more houses have been built in the area. Yeah. It's just grown and grown. Now, there's no extra space you can build on this school, so you can put extra units on. So they've lost, to balance the books over the years of austerity, they've had to cut teachers, they've had to cut assistants, so the class sizes have got bigger, the population has increased, so she's running enormous classes with no help. Right. And do her uh, sort of colleagues feel the same way? Oh, God, Mike, she's lost so many colleagues who've yeah. gone and taken work in the private sector. This isn't about money in her pocket. She's not bothered about that. Mm. She considers herself well paid if she's got the time. But at the moment, it's just a case that she'd rather take a job on half pay and have a life. When, it, when, when you get people ringing up and saying, oh, but they get six weeks in the summer. Yeah. She does. However, Mike, when she was living at home with us as a teacher, three to four weeks of that, we're preparing for the next term yeah. to get coursework ready. That seems so mad, though, doesn't it? I mean, you can't expect people to work in that way, surely. Well, you can when you're a politician. You, it's the same with GPs and mm. nurses. I see that because my wife's on the NHS side of things. I saw it when I was a civil servant. You see it with the policemen, you see it with fire service. You put on their sense of duty and you just leave them to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to GPs who say they have to go in at the weekends when they're not seeing patients to do all the admin, to run the, 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 you know, the, the, the surgery. Well, my wife is sat at home with her laptop while she's catching up with Lion and Duty and all the box sets, trying to catch up with the emails. Yeah. It's amazing. The hundreds of emails that come in over the weekend. Mm. It's no different from a daughter. She's there on a laptop or on her phone trying to catch up with things sure. all the time. Right. Fascinating stuff. Gerard, thanks for letting us know about that. Gerard and crew there saying it's not all uh, holidays and, uh, you know, uh, short working weeks and short working days. If you're a teacher, it's quite the reverse. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 03444991000. We'll come back to your calls in a moment about the education system and how it is failing not only some of the pupils in this country, but also uh, some of the teachers as well. We'll try and be uh, getting a government minister on a little bit later on the show as well. Right now, though, we're going to go live uh, to Paris to speak to Robert Hardman, uh, writer with the Daily Mail, author uh, of Queen of the World. Robert uh, was inside Notre Dame Cathedral last night, one of the first people inside it after uh, the fire was made safe uh, when President Emmanuel Macron went in as well. Well, a shocking sight for us all to see yesterday, sort of late afternoon. Robert, um, a very good morning to you. It must be a strange place to be today. Good morning, I guess. I'm standing right in front of the, the western front of the cathedral, the famous Twin Towers, yeah. as they call them here. And they are still standing. There are fire crews all over them. There are still uh, elevated platforms checking the masonry. But I think there's a palpable sense of relief here in Paris today. Yeah. Last night... You heard the word catastrophe. People really did feel they were about to lose uh, a sacred part of the French identity. This morning, it's still standing. It's in a terrible state. It's going to take a lot of work, but uh, Our Lady of Paris, as they call her, um, is still here. And you described very well this morning in the piece that I was reading about walking through, you know, getting your feet wet because of all the water on the floor, but also the smell, the acrid smell of a fire, which is which is unmistakable, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, I've had the misfortune of, of, of having a flat some years ago burned down. I mean, that was a tiny, weedy little yeah. episode compared to this. But that smell, it never leaves you. And it, it really was, a, it, it was, it was, you know, really unpleasant last night. The smell of the, the, the sort of un, uh, an inch of water. I mean, my feet are actually still soaking wet as a result. Right. Uh, but you know, in the middle of all this, the embers falling down and then blackened. Um, rafters and the, the sky opened above. In the middle of all this, suddenly a torchlight from a fireman picked out its extraordinary image at the far end, just above the aisle, just above the altar. There, there stands still a crucifix. Yeah. I think those of religious disposition, and, and, and there were a lot of them praying on the streets last night, will we'll, we'll get immense reassurance, I think, from that. Yes, it was a wonderful picture as well that, that, that I saw of, of that particular image. I was in Windsor when Windsor Castle was burning down, and you may well have been as well, and that was caused by a sort of a careless uh, workman who was yep. partly renovating the, the St George's Chapel. Is this going to turn out to be a similar kind of accidental fire set by somebody doing something in the renovation area? Well, I think you're onto something, Mike. I mean, yes, so we, I remember Windsor Fire well. That, that was left by, it was a, a, a worker's lantern left too close to a curtain uh, in a mid-morning tea break. And, and here, it was interesting that it's fine to start just at the end of the working day. There's a big £5 million restoration programme, or there was, uh, uh, underway on the roof. Uh, it was minutes after the doors were closed to the public, minutes after the workers had gone home that it started. So I think that is the likeliest uh, 
uh, factor at the moment, although I don't think anyone's ruling anything out. I mean, there is going to be the most uh, uh, detailed forensic analysis mm. of all this. I'm sure we'll find out. But yeah, uh, that, it looks like it's an accident. Not uh, foul and play. an as- astonishing figure I saw this morning, 13 million people visited it last year. You know, this is going to yeah. have a major sort of knock-on effect to, to, to people coming to Paris. I mean, do you think more people will come to now see it? Will people be able to enter the, the cathedral, do you think, bef- you know, before the end of this year, maybe? I, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought anyone's going to be you know, certainly not doing the key summer months. But I mean, as I stand here now, the, the banks of the Seine are absolutely people. Uh, I don't think it's going to stop anybody coming. But yes, as you say, 13 million a year, it, it, it puts, you know, the Tower of London, which you think is one of our great landmarks, mm. and that's just over 2 million a year. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's how popular this thing is. More people visit Notre Dame than visit the Eiffel Tower. Um, it really is a, a global landmark, which is why the whole world rallied around yesterday. I mean, within minutes, you had, had messages of, well, frankly, condolence uh, coming in from uh, from, from, from the, all around, around the planet, because anyone who's ever set foot in Paris will have been here. And, and it is just, you know, it does lift the soul. I mean, it's funny, you know, it's raining, it's a grisly morning, it's yeah. a pretty depressing scene, and yet you look at it, it does make you sort of, it does sort of restore your faith in your nature. Well, it does. I mean, also, it's one of those buildings in the world that even if you haven't been to Paris, you recognise it, don't you? You do. It's absolutely. It's. 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 Yeah, I mean, I, that overused word iconic, but I mean, it is. It is ghost of the, the, the heart of yeah. the French national identity, and that's why it's so important. And as well as the actual structural damage, and the, I, I, I understand that the stained glass windows have obviously, you know, been destroyed. Has, has has anything else been lost in terms of works of art or anything else that might have been inside? It's too too soon to say, but I. I, I you know, he, he, the firefighters did really did a heroic job getting stuff out last night. We you know that at least one insurance in and it was rather touching in the middle of the night because they finally went home for a well earned breather as they crossed the bridge with so huge tears and applause. So I think you know, this is this is a, a nation that's going through its own domestic troubles yeah. at the moment, but right now it feels it feels distinctly united. And, uh, and, and, and it's been reminded that some things are more important. Yeah. Than, uh, well, it may well as well. I mean, I was hearing a, an earlier guest on Julie Hartley Brewer's show saying that, you know, politically speaking, it's an interesting time for Macron. He was meant to be making a speech last night and launching his election campaign for the European elections. You know, this might kind of heal yeah. the rift between yeah, Macron and his people, might it? Uh, it may do. It may do. It was certainly, if, uh, I, I, one could turn that round. If, if this had gone the other way, if this had been a disaster we feared, then I think Macron's presidency would have been a very serious problem. Yeah. So right. I think that is having a, a, a sigh of relief this morning. Yes, absolutely. Robert, listen, I know you're a very busy man. Thank you for sparing Thanks the time to speak to us. Robert Hardman, a Daily Mail writer there uh, and author as well, of course, of many, many books, including one most recently uh, about the Queen. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Murph says, how much pollution is being caused by cars and vans and lorries at a standstill in London pumping out smoke? And Roger says, I'm furious listening to that report on talk radio on the protesters in London. It's making me physically sick laughing about overloading police cells and holding the bridge. It's not clever. Uh, And Adam says, the London protesters look utterly ridiculous and should be at work. And Andy says, they should all get charged and get criminal records. That way, they'll have to declare it to get 
insurance, get loans and make life generally a bit more complicated for these warriors, or as I call them, idiots. Well, I mean, it's absolutely right. They should not be messing about for two days and talking about staying here for as long as it takes. I mean, do they really actually seriously think they're going to force the government, who are not actually around at the moment, to the, quote, negotiating table? To negotiate what? so that we can just refuse to have any kind of emissions whatsoever, so we can have zero carbon emissions, no cars, no boats, no tube trains, no trains, no planes, no food, no cookers. I mean, really? These people are quite deluded, are they not? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. If you're sitting in traffic and you're listening to this radio show, by all means, give me a call and tell me how long you're going to be sitting in traffic for before you start doing something about this. Right now, though, we're going to talk to John McCarthy, reporter for The Drum, because something rather unusual has happened in the advertising business. And The Drum, of course, uh, is the Bible of the advertising business. Apparently, Carlsberg have worked out uh, that calling their beer probably the best lager in the world uh, isn't possibly true. Uh, so they're now going to change it to probably not the best beer in the world. John, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Mike. Yeah. Um, this has been a fun one to cover. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sort of revolutionary thought, isn't it, in advertising? Let's tell the truth. Yeah, um, there's a school of thought thinking that brand authenticity and telling the truth will sell more beer. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I suppose you'd have to ask the question of of, of all advertising, like if if you are Carlsberg. You, you kind of know that it's not the best lager in the world. And when you say probably, you're kind of getting away with it anyway. But presumably, they're doing it just to get their name known, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's quite a fun joke. Uh, fun fact is I've been out with the Carlsberg crew a few times and uh-huh. they make sure you drink Carlsberg. Right. Even though it might not be the best beer in the world, like you said. Um, they've started their new campaign this year. Uh, it's a 20 million campaign. Right. By uh, promoting some quite ungenerous tweets. I'm not sure if I can read them out on the radio. Well, as long as they're clean and they don't include any horrible words, then by all means, go for it. Mike, there's a couple of horrible words. but um, <laughs> the, the, Well, gloss over know, the horrible words. <laughs> OK. Uh, the rancid urine of Satan. It's a shame my beer tastes like cat's urine. <laughs> my pint of Carlsberg tastes like a naan bread. Right. Carlsberg tastes like stale breadsticks. Right. These have all been promoted on Twitter to kickstart this campaign. Carlsberg is admitting it's beer doesn't taste good yeah so so i mean these are presumably fake tweets that they've sort of stunted up right no um, these are real ones yeah they've asked for permission from people really use them and people have been quite confused as to why they would actually want to admit these things right as am i to be honest yeah well i mean i guess if they're spending 20 million quid they must have done the research and i and we are now living in i suppose a more uh, open and woke uh, situation, aren't we? Where we're all supposed to be much more truthful, and we're not falling for any, you know, jazzy marketing gimmicks anymore. That seems to be the way forward. Yes. Um, now I drink Carlsberg if it's on tap, and there's no. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I haven't ever thought about the taste of it. I don't think it's right. everywhere. Right. It's usually well priced. It's it's, fine. Yeah, I mean, it's not one of these expensive craft beers, is it? No, which seems to be the market they're pushing for, but. Um, but honestly, did you ever think that Carlsberg was a terrible beer before they told you that it was? Not really. Like no. Rain? To be honest, no. I mean, I, I, I'm not much of a lager drinker. I'll drink it more in the summertime when it's yeah. when it's really hot. And it, and in those and those circumstances, it doesn't. Whatever the beer tastes like, doesn't really matter as long as it's cold. Exactly. You know. And they've <laughs> but, been. Uh, I mean, they've been yeah. quite good, haven't they? At, uh, at sort of sponsoring things. They've sponsored. I don't know if they did. They not sponsor Celtic and Rangers at one point. Yeah, I, thinking that, of I, think, I think that was Carling, which oh, is another yeah. beer we should best stay away from. Yeah, but, I mean, um, talking yeah. of beers that don't taste very good. I mean, that's, <laughs> that one's even worse than Carlsberg, isn't it? 
that's a popular opinion <laughs> I've seen today. I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Um, Carlsberg have been deeply involved in football. Uh, I think they had a partnership with England for the last 22 years. Right. But they've recently wrapped that up. Um, and they're trying to push into a more premium space. Um, right. You might have noticed Mads Mikkelsen riding around. Uh, it was at Copenhagen on a bicycle um, instead of, uh, you know, probably oh, yeah. spots where we're seeing a guy walk into a flat during the Champions League final. Yes, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, it's a great ad, and we all sort of remember it fondly. Yeah, I mean, their advertising's actually been pretty good, hasn't it? Yeah, um, there's a bit of a confusion as to why it's moving away from probably. Yeah. But again, you say that uh, they might have more data on why they're doing that than we do. Yeah, and Sachi and Sachi's are doing the, the new uh, ad and the new commercial, I suppose. Um, what do you, what yeah. do you, what do you, I mean, are they are they going to be show, showing this to other clients and saying this is obviously the way forward? I mean, how can you tell if an advertising um, campaign's working? Um, unfortunately, uh, you have to wait a year, two years, five years to see how the sales are holding up right. and, and the trends. Generally speaking, beer sales are dropping. Um, Carlsberg also owned Tuborg and Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. So you need to differentiate this. Well, I um, remember those beers, but you don't see those around as much as you used to, really, Tuborg and Cronenberg. No, uh, not generally in this market, but in certain markets. I think Cronenberg's really big in China. Is it? Um, I, I love Tuborg. I've got a pool cap and right. you just pull it off, and it's, it's great fun. But, uh, yeah. That's just so you can look macho. Yeah, uh, you can have tiny little beers, pull it off, <laughs> and you know, you'll know you have ten around you and you'll drink maybe a can. Right. Oh, right, OK. Well, it's a fascinating time, isn't it, I suppose? I mean, I, I don't know if you're in Scotland, but what's the what's the biggest beer in Scotland now? Uh, it's probably Tenants. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, which yeah. doesn't do very well anywhere else, does it? No, uh, I don't think it gets to the border very well without being fully depleted. Um, I drink that. It's quite good. It's fine. Um you know, if you don't want to spend more than three fifty on a pint, it's there. And you don't make me need. jealous. I mean, you know, I can't remember the last time I paid three fifty for a pint. I mean, down here, it's you're lucky if you can get away with five. It makes my eyes water. But um, again, there's, there's an argument to be made for a cheap, massively available beer. Yeah. It seems to be something that Carlsberg's turning its back on, going more towards the the Brewdog sort of space with its yes. Pilsner. Right. Yeah. Hmm, interesting times. OK, well, listen, John, thank you very much indeed. John McCarthy, uh, reporter for The Drum. He seems to know an awful lot about beer, uh, by the way, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I know quite a lot about beer as well, but I don't think... I can't remember the last time I had any Carlsberg of any kind, really. Uh, but they've now changed their campaign slogan from probably the best lager in the world to probably not the best beer in the world. So we've changed it. How is that going to work exactly? Or maybe it doesn't really matter after all. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Oh three four 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 nine nine one a thousand is the number. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock with Kevin O'Sullivan, a host of guests until four o'clock, of course. Uh, let's go back to the phone zone and let's talk about the climate protesters because uh, uh, the eco warriors are out in force again in central London. They're claiming uh, they're going to hang around until uh, it takes however long it takes uh, for them to get the government to come to the negotiating table. Uh, let's hear from Simon, who's in Bolton. Hello, Simon. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? I'm well, mate. Listen, just a, a quick... There's two points, but the, the main point I'll make second, but quickly, our padded soul journalist has mani- managed to conflate the Notre Dame thing with Brexit this morning. Oh, yeah. And he and he's, he's also blocked one of his fellow presenters off Twitter. I saw that, yeah. I saw that. How yeah. amusing is that, right? It tells you he's starting to lose the plot, I think. 
Uh, yeah, anyway, never mind him. What do you want to say? What do you want to say about the yeah, eco but, warriors? Well, what it is, Mike, if that had been people like me, pro Brexit, yeah. demonstrators doing that, I can guarantee you now, Mike, that the police would have been there with riot shields. Yeah. Well, if, you mean if you'd been waving the old Union Jack instead of the yeah, uh, I, instead I of the fla- the flag of Greenpeace? Yeah, I did. They would have. They would have. I mean, they had the riot sheep, riot police there when they, the last protests mm. were on in the in the backgrounds, and I can't understand why the police haven't um, haven't uh, aren't moving these. But it's not fair on those individuals that are trying to go about the day to day chores, no. trying to make a living. And it's an utter disgrace, and they, they're saying they're going to be there for two weeks. I don't think the police should allow it, Mark. No, they really shouldn't. I mean, the point is is that they should allow them to protest one day, if that's what they want to do. We live in a democracy, that's fine. But they've already exceeded what they said they would do. They told them to only sort of coagulate around Marble Arch, but they blocked Waterloo Bridge, they blocked all sorts of other streets around central London, and they're going to do the same again today. And it will only end up in tears. They'll end up having to drag them off, won't they? Yeah, well, the, the thing is, when the Brexit protests were on, they, they didn't go painting graffiti on buildings and smashing windows and doing all that malarkey. No. The police need to clamp down on yeah. them, Mike, seriously. Well, it's, it's criminal it's damage, disgusting. isn't it? I mean, since when did did that some, somehow become OK? When, since when were people allowed to do that? Well, I, I think the, the Sadiq Khan should be coming out. I mean, let them all go on high park on the grass. Let them all go and camp out on there if they want yeah. to do, not stop people going about the daily business. It's wrong. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, Simon. Thank you very much indeed for the call. More common sense on this show than anybody else, of course, because this is the place to find common sense, not that place uh, that he mentioned at the start of the call, uh, which I'd rather not mention, obviously. 0344 499 Right now, though, uh, let's talk to somebody uh, that a lot of you have uh, been wanting to hear from all the way through this show, Mr Motivator, uh, who is, of course, uh, the TV legend, the fitness instructor, the man himself, uh, he's on the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Uh, Mr Motivator, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, sir. The best-looking man is in the house. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. That's very kind. You're I was not talking bad looking. about me. I wasn't You're not bad about looking you. yourself, you know, but that's OK. <laughs> now, listen, step up for 30. Tell us what it's all about. Oh, my goodness. You know, the whole idea is to actually bang away at that drum, which I've been doing for 25 years, yes. which is telling everybody that exercise is the best thing that you can put into your life mm. and the moment you start that's the moment you can actually put a break on anything that's wrong with your body and number two you can actually recover from illnesses there's so many positive benefits and step up for 30 is all about bowel cancer you know something 800 people every single week are diagnosed right with bowel cancer right. so therefore we need to take notice and we need to get moving and how can exercise prevent bowel cancer then or, or prevent you being ill it look it's not a prevention Right, because what it is, it's a way of minimizing the onset of any kind of illness. Right. And that's the important thing, right? Is because the more active we are, the more likelihood is that we'll reduce those things happening, right? We'll slow, on the, slow down the onset. And also, when we actually get ill, we're more likely to recover real quickly. And sure. that's important, right? Because the thing is, if you look back to our forefathers who used to go off to the factory and stuff like that, they didn't deal with half the things we're having to deal with nowadays. Right. And that's because we spend more time sitting in front of the computer, not getting out the house, not playing football with the kids, not doing all those things which are important for, our impo- for the benefits of mm. our health and well-being. Yes, and we didn't have... A, a, as much to eat in the old days. I mean, our, our forefathers didn't have the amounts of food that we could. Now well, the consume. choices they never had. Yeah, right? no, they didn't. And I think that was important, yeah. right? Right. So, so less is more. And the thing is, you know, those kind of things like sensible eating is critical because if you left the table half empty, yeah, right, you're more likely to actually feel better for the rest of the day. So, in other words, don't gorge, don't overdo it, right? You know, when the plate comes in front of you, 
halve it down the middle, have a little bit of it, have the other bit later on. Yes, a very good idea. And what would you say, Mr Motivator, to those people who, who say, well, I haven't really got time to exercise, you know, I have to. I can't really afford to join a gym. I mean, presumably there are straightforward, simple things you can do. There's loads of stuff you can do. Number one, stop the excuse of saying you don't have time. Yeah. If you don't make time, you won't have time. Right. All right. So your time's going to run out. Your time's <laughs> going to run out. Right. So here's what's critical, right? Yeah. Identify something that you want to do. Mm. All right. Okay. So maybe you want to be a dancer. I mean, do you move, Mike? I mean, I probably do. I move right? very well right. when I, I want just, to. Yeah. I can see you doing belly yeah. dancing. So let's say belly well, like, dancing yeah, was steady. your thing. Yeah. Make sure the facilities are close by. If okay. they're close by, then you're more likely to go to it. No yeah. point having it 10 miles away. Yeah. Because when the weather's horrible, you ain't going to go. No, exactly. The second thing is find a buddy. And Mike, you must have a buddy who wants to do belly dancing with you. I have. Of course yeah. you do. Right. Yeah. So you get your buddy to together right and you're both now going to go belly dancing right so when you say you know what my belly's not moving the right direction today he'll say come on mike we yes. gotta go and do it that's true right okay that's true. so you both go in you do it you come home the shower afterwards is fabulous and that's what it's all about sure. identify something physical that you will enjoy and then doing it right because you now have a goal and the first two letters of goal is go mm. so you're gonna go for it yes okay. Good. I am. Say yes, yes Mike. I, I want to hear you say well, yes. Well, I'm going to say yes, but I'm not sure about the belly dance, but I will find something. Well, what about a bit of uh, sort of speed walking? Because I did quite a bit of walking. Speed what walking? What about if you walk fast? Well, let me tell you this, right? Just the mere action of walking is great for you. You know, yeah. for every step you take, mm. 250 muscles come into play. Right. Now, you've only got 650 muscles in your body. Body. That means a third of those muscles are working when you walk. Mm. The impact when you walk is minimal. So that's actually a lot better than you running, because if I suggest you running, yeah. after a while, the impact could have negative effect on your body, especially if you haven't done anything in a long time. And I'm while. not as young as I used to be. you know. Well, of course, you're older than thing. 21. You're not my age. That's I could true. be your daddy. That's true. In fact, you know, right, I could be your daddy. <laughs> now, I think the last time I spoke to you, um, we, you were in the Caribbean working on some kind of uh, exercise regime there. Are you still doing that? I've got, I'm all over the place, yeah. because the demand for something positive is really critical in terms of what I do. Look, there's not been another motive and there won't be. So I've got to really keep banging mm. my drum because I really care about people and people looking after themselves. And that's why the Step Up for 30 campaign is a great campaign because if it does nothing else, it creates the awareness that we can all make a change in our life tomorrow. The Absolutely. Moment, the moment you start, that's the moment you are on the way to success. And is there a place people can go and check in with Step Up for 30? Of course. You can go onto the website, right, okay. which is bowel cancer uk.org.uk that's all you have to do Fantastic. otherwise you can go into my look check me out on instagram because i'm so hot real mr motivator i'm giving you positive stuff that you'll find on my instagram page i've only just got into it are you into it mike because um, I, i've never been instagram a little well you know what it was the one place i used to just exchange stuff with my kids yeah and but it's sort of slightly expanded now i yes. tend to be more on twitter and facebook but yeah. but i'm on there but i'll look for you yeah look for me because what i'm doing is it, it's the place you'll come to for feeling good it's the place you come to for really having a good laugh and realize that everything i give you will be something that's good for you i'm not into posting i'm going to do a bit of shopping. I'm into posting something mm. positive right. that would get you thinking. And, and and that's what I'm all about, Mike, is to continue to spread the message that exercise is good for you. And if you look after it, you will live a long, long life. Tremendous. Mr. Bellevue, great to hear from you. Thank you very much indeed. Check it out. Uh, it's a step up for 30 for bowel cancer. Get some exercise. Do some exercise. You'll feel an awful lot better. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. 
Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.